With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I want people to listen to this and say, wow, this really helped me. And that, honestly, I love the fact that even when we met, you said, I really enjoy when people stop me. And they say, I've helped them and I really inspired them. And that was what your mission was. And I remember... When I was at Good Day New York, we had Ava DeVernay on, and one thing she said always really resonated with me, where she said, if your dreams aren't bigger than yourself, you're not dreaming big enough. And so I definitely see those things, and I try and remember them. You do have, like, an extraordinary memory for, not for everything, but for, like, quotes and odd personal details. <laughs> but the quotes, though, is weird. Like, That's fine, too. Like, I've seen all kinds of people, and weird's fine. I am... Probably a little bit weird. You are a little yeah. bit weird. Because <laughs> you speak in quotes and you know every single human being on the planet. No, of course. I just think you want to be genuine. You know, you want to be who you are. Think about these quotes. They're all words of wisdom kind of that, that have withstood the test of time in some form or other. And so kind of building a life philosophy around them is essentially a shortcut to having wisdom yourself. <laughs> All right, ready? I'm ready. Yeah, of course. Ready, willing, and able. Steve Cohen, the producer of the world-famous podcast, The James Altucher Show. People are going to, Steve, people are going to think I'm only having you on the podcast because we have no other guests, but obviously we have plenty of other guests. But I specifically asked you, and you, I don't even know if you wanted to come on. I specifically wanted you to come on this podcast to underline several things. Were you, were you hesitant at first? I I was appreciative that you made the gesture because I think you're a great interview and you make everybody better. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was I wasn't hesitant. I guess I was. I because I think that um, I want our listeners to get the best out of this podcast, and so I think I was a little bit like, "Hey," um, and plus I've gotten all these other amazing guests on the show, so. Have a lot to live up to. Yeah, you've got that. Well, that's the first thing I want to talk about. By the way, by the way, we're going to, I just want to explain yeah. the, the arc of this is going to be this is a podcast about peak performance. I'm going to explain why you're the, the reasons why I think you're such a peak performer. Um, but I'm just getting a little bit of background because you've been exposed to almost every branch of yeah. media there is. Yeah. And, and I think the specific skills yeah. you have, people could learn from. Now, first off, how many years were you in radio, and how many years were you in TV? Okay, um, I was in. I was. I started at uh, WCBS Radio here in New York, and I went from local radio to network radio. What did you do? What did you do for that? I started out as a desk assistant, 
and uh, you know, just entry level, and you kind of worked overnights, and you would do. You had carts back then, and you it was the number it was the number one or two all news radio station in the country. You know, ten uh, ten wins and WCBS radio, and it was. Is that because it was in New York, or because you worked? <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, wait, wait. What did you rise up to? What was your final title? Um, I was managing editor over there. So you picked stories, and it was an afternoon drive show, and we did interviews every day. So you picked stories for the number one radio show. Yeah. And was Howard Stern on the show then? Um, Howard I mean, Stern wasn't. Channel? No, Howard Stern was on K-Rock. I mean, he was part of CBS radio, but um, he wasn't. It was an all-news station, so... Our biggest competition was 1010 Wins, which famously said, like, oh, you give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. And so, uh, by WCBS Radio, uh, some of those people are still there. Uh, okay, so to yeah. go, then you, then t then what happened? I have to interrupt you a lot. Yeah, of so. course, obviously. <laughs> it, um, then I went to ABC Radio. You know, somebody who had worked at WCBS Radio had offered me a position over there, and it was a bigger title. And I remember when we were on Dan yeah. Harris, or when I was on Dan Harris's yeah. podcast over at ABC, you're walking through ABC, and everyone's like, Steve, like, yeah, was this great. is the best person. <laughs> they were telling me, this is the best yeah. person I ever worked with. Like, we yeah. couldn't walk five feet without someone else stopping you at ABC. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it was almost like James Apalooza in Dallas. We were getting mobbed. It was it was Steve Apalooza <laughs> ABC. So what was your, what was your highest title um, at ABC? Myers, I had a title... Um, called Manager of News Planning. It was a network radio station, and I was there around the millennium. And so, like, I kind of was in charge of millenniums, you know, just stories about the millennium. Remember the Y2K problem? Or in 2000, there was, you know, there was an Olympics. There was presidential race. And so a lot, you know, and it was a national newsroom. I also was there on 9-11, and I remember, you know, when that happened, you know, when those planes... Were you at that. work uh, uh, at when the planes hit? Yeah, I remember it obviously distinctly. How did you jump into action okay. and, and cover the story? Um, well, in 9-11, I was one of the managers there, and it was at 8 or something in the morning. And I, I, I remember I was in my office, among other reasons, because at the time I was considering moving to TV, and I was had an interview at Good Morning America on that day at September 11th. And so I was watching Good Morning America and I remember like Charlie Gibson and Diane, I was watching Diane Sawyer and them, but then you saw news locally, like a plane hit the the, the World Trade Center. Uh, Did you jump up and start calling I jumped reporters? up and I wasn't honestly sure, like when you're a national radio and obviously there were other managers and everybody started stirring, I wasn't that high up on the totem pole, but I was one of the managers. And I remember... You kind of like everybody else. You're kind of like, okay, if there's a fire, the World Trade Center is it? Is it a national story? Do you break into like the thousands of affiliates across the country? You know, at the time, it was hard for me to kind of realize that. But one thing I did fall back on in February, I had been sent to this conference on terrorism, and the Chicago Tribune did it, the McCormick Foundation, and I remember it was one of those things where you would go and there was like 50 to 60 people and media there, and a lot of those people you eventually saw on TV were all there. And I was, you know, correspondents or ambassadors. I remember there was a guy, Jerry Hauer, at, um, you know, of um, Jerry Hauer was in charge of the mayor's, like, emergency management thing. Then he went on to work for Kroll. And I remember we got our anchors in there, and once everything started materializing, we were on the air, obviously, for, like, a week straight, you know, with just updates and all kind of correspondence, but I do remember 
I remember calling Jerry Hauer because. See, by the way, and this is yeah, this is the beginnings of of how you developed your superpower, which I'll get to in a little yeah. bit. But here's an uh, an event that you went to six months earlier than 9-11, yeah. you probably had every single person at that conference in your yeah. contacts list. You immediately called, you know, yeah. someone and he was like probably happy to hear from you in this given this yeah. event and everything. And you work started working out a plan. Yeah. Well he bought us a lot of time because he had a lot of credibility and it was Jerry Hauer. And I remember very distinctly he felt like this was a totally new thing and because when you went, when I went totally to that, new thing in terms of terrorism, new, yeah, totally new thing in terrorism. And I remember at one of those conferences, and I'm sure people go to a lot of them, and you're not, you're kind of not paying attention, and you're kind of like, oh yeah, this is gonna happen. Like, and they were talking about like, I remember NBC, like, you know, different kinds of chemical weapons, and I forget what the acronym, you know, biological chemical or you know, and nuclear terrorism. And Jerry was one of the lecturers there, and I kind of knew him from Mayor Giuliani's office, and. I, I imagine I was one of the first people who called him because it was it was before nine o'clock. I mean, it was right when it happened. And he told our anchors in our live breaking coverage, he said, you know, it, this is different, this kind of thing, because before terrorists would get in a plane and they would probably, um, they would look to hold it hostage. And he said, guys, if somebody wants to take a plane and crash it, what could you do? You know, once they have and the so plane. And before, so before 9 a.m. on yeah. that day, even... Nobody was totally sure it was terrorism. Yeah. People weren't really, I don't think people were really sure it was terrorism until the Pentagon got hit, which was more around like 9.15 or 9.30. It was definitely, I definitely, he was the first person I called and I remember it was really early and I could be off on the time, but it was definitely right when you could, the second, you know, right around when those planes hit and you knew that something was wrong. And I just suspected that he was a guy. So who did you break into, you make the decision we, yeah, to break we, into? Oh yeah, yeah. And by that point. all the affiliates. Yeah, we were like, now we're going into live breaking coverage and then people were down by 9-11 and by the ground zero and then it began, you know, weeks of coverage, you know, with everything. Okay, so then after radio, after that, what, what, what was your next After show? that, I, it, like a couple of months later, I, you know, the, I, I, was, I was considering going to Good Morning America or CBS early show and... Why'd you want to get into TV? I just felt... Like I was ready to do something else. You what, know? What, what made you feel ready? I felt like the gum was losing its flavor. I had been doing it for a while, and I felt like I was ready to do something. Uh, I just, I think I was ready to kind of progress into that. And I think in everybody's career is different. I in college, it, you know, I was one of the editors of the school paper, and I went from like print to, and I, then I liked radio. I liked the immediacy of radio. And I, I, I kept getting bigger positions, but I think I was ready to try something different and, and TV excited me. So you were always interested in journalism in some form or other. Yeah, at University of Michigan, yeah. you were one of the editors yeah. of the school paper. Yeah. You got into radio, then yeah. you went into TV. Yes. And so, so what, was your, what was your, by the way, I don't know if I ever told you this, in the late 1950s, my dad was one of the editors of the University of Michigan oh, wow. paper. So, wow. yeah, and at the same place. time as um, Tom Hayden, no, um, there was a novelist. Uh, God, I forgot her name. Margaret something. Oh wow, Spellman. Uh, no. Okay. I forget. I'll I'm stop up. guessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, okay. So so. Oh wow, that's very uh, cool. So then the TV. Uh, uh, and then I I came over to the CBS early show and. 
we were still doing 9-11 stories. And how, how does someone know when they're ready to, to not necessarily make a lateral shift in career, but a kind of vertical shift? You know, they, like essentially um, you just, you, you were feeling like, okay, I've, I've done this radio for a long time and I'm ready to yeah. kind of take a, ju- a, a jump in company and a jump in um, yeah. kind of medium. Yeah, well, I looked at Good Morning America, and at the time, they were making me an offer, too, as was uh, the early... I think once, like, I didn't have an interview that day, then I remember that my dad had had a patient. My dad is a physician. He had a patient who was an editor there, and he said, well, he said, well, why doesn't he talk to the early show, you know, if he's interested in Good Morning America? And then I'd started my career at CBS Radio, and I kind of liked the culture a little bit different than than ABC TV. Why is that? I felt like when you'd go around CBS and they kind of had that reputation with kind of venerable show like 60 Minutes and it had been around for a long time and ABC seemed more glamorous and the offices were even nicer and, you know, CBS, those people, you know, just kind of rolled up their sleeves and it was a, that was my perception of it. Like Dan Rather, Andy Rooney and- Walter Cronkite, wasn't he? uh, Not at that time, but- No, he, yeah, he had left in um, 1981 and Dan Rather came. So yeah, and so I felt like that's where I started. And I also felt like when I would see the people at ABC and I interacted with a lot of them because at radio, like I'd have to go over to meetings with the national, it was something called News One, which is still around or TV or .com and you'd go deal with all these different people. So I'd see them or you'd have- Correspondence from 2020 or Good Morning America, you'd be on conference calls. You you were there at the culture and in in CBS at ABC at ABC. So who who was in charge of dot com then at um, ABC? ABCnews.com uh, was a guy named Bernie Gershon, um, very talented guy, you know, and just really smart and ahead of the curve with things. And what's he doing right now? He is a consultant, you know, Bernie. You For know, who? he left. He kind of is doing his own thing. He's doing some very cool things. Uh, See, but by the way, the reason I ask, yeah. I don't actually care what he's doing. <laughs> reason I ask is that this was 18 years ago, yeah. and you, this is we're we're gonna get to your yeah, super sure. mutant power yeah. slope bit by bit. This is 18 years ago. You you probably could call him right now, and he pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Steve Cohen." Yeah, yeah. And and you 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 know some. Obs- I picked a random thing out yeah. of all the departments you just yeah. mentioned. I said, "Who was it? And what's he doing now?" I don't remember from the year two thousand what anybody who who yeah. anybody was that I was working with and what they're doing now, except for maybe like one person who I'm still working with. I try joke sometimes like that I'm a diamond, I'm forever. Like I try and be very I try and just if I'm with you, I'm with you, you know, and I appreciate people. But it's hard to yeah. keep that up with a hundred thousand people, which is what I suspect is your actual net the size of your network. Yeah, I have a definitely I mean I definitely have a lot of people in my in my um Rolodex or phone, I definitely do. You know, I and I, I definitely, I just try to be very genuine. I'm not great on social media, like which is probably a fault of mine. And yet, and yet, people think social media is networking, but I've seen real networking in how you operate, and we'll get to that in a a second. Let's just okay. So now, but but I guess my point with that was, I always was very skeptical of a lot of that, even the phrase network, or you know, even. I always felt like it's a little fake. I felt it was fake, and I just felt like I never want to handle people. For those who are listening, I have my quote bunnies up, like Richard Nixon. I'm not a crook, but I think that I always. I remember Madonna once said, "Like, um, 
I, you know, she said, insecure people reinvent themselves, insecure people evolve, which isn't meant to be a diss, but to the author of Reinvent Yourself. But I also... <laughs> uh, I was an insecure person. <laughs> <laughs> but I also feel like, and maybe it's semantics, but I felt like insecure people network and secure people offer their friendship they want to work with you and they want to make things a win-win and like hey how can we all do stuff together like jazz musicians play music or pick up basketball just and and just kind of like hey let's work together let's really make things interesting and let's create something and so i've always kind of had that instinctive ability to do that and i always just tried to i remember harvey mckay wrote a book called um dig your well before you're thirsty and i just always tried to just you know, do my homework every day and then compile a list. And news is always about contacts and associations. It's about, oh, this thing is happening in terrorism. Who can we associate with it? And who's our contact? And how can you get to them quickly? And you know, when I was in radio and I started, and obviously I guess like looking back, yeah, I spent a long time doing it. And we talk a lot about the 10,000 hours and people at radio used to say like, oh, what's the world's largest... Um, microphone a telephone you know like you can call anybody and i always felt like yeah i was definitely very competitive and i felt like yeah of course i'm gonna get that person and when you do you, when, when there's nothing happening do you have ways of keeping the network intact yeah. uh so like do you do you you know if, if you see someone in the news you, yeah. you send a note and say yes. congratulations you did this and- yeah because i think that i one of my bigger influences was the basketball coach John Wooden, and he always felt like the slightest good deed was the better best. Uh, the slightest good deed is better than the greatest of intentions, and so I always and I want to be happy for other people, and and I want to do things just for the sake of doing them. I don't really have an agenda, and it's oh, I noticed that you started your own company, congratulations, or hey, I saw this. There are times where I think you know almost like Mother Teresa says, like do it anyway. Where somebody gets a job, like. I always remembered like Matt Lauer when he he famously told that story. Um, you know when he got the job, he was working at Nine Broadcast Plaza, Channel Nine, a local thing. And one year he got six Christmas cards, and the next year he got two hundred. You know, but if I feel like I'm good intentioned, I'm not going to let the potential stigma of like reaching out to somebody just when they're successful. You know, oh, uh, oh you say because Matt Lauer got successful one, in one yeah. year, so he went from six to two hundred Christmas cards. Yeah, because it's sort on, of like Walter Mondale, yeah. who used to be vice president of the United States. He said, "I always uh, used to think I had a great sense of humor, and then I st- <laughs> and then after I was no longer vice president of the United States, no one will laugh at my jokes anymore." Yeah, exactly. You know, so I yeah, and I just I think, you know, it's I just I try to maintain friendships and. I'm careful about more so now, you know, about like who you keep around and and it's always very sincere because I see you yeah. with I see you talking to all these people, you you know the yeah. details of their lives, you ask about them, ask about their families, you travel to their parents' yeah. funerals, like you yeah. really keep keep up with everybody. And I'll just give a yeah. quick example. Like one time, this is when when Curb Your Enthusiasm was coming yeah. out, and I said, you know who I'd really want to get on the show? And we ended up not getting him on the show for various reasons. Well, I spoke but, to them yesterday. They said they want to do it, so hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I said I really wanted J.B. Swoop. You like... Like out of memory, like you'd like dial his a phone number yeah. and you say here, and I'm talking to JB Smoove on the phone. It's like my favorite, you know, yeah. comedian on the Curb Your Enthusiasm. And then and then I met him the next day. He hung out with me and my daughter, and but then he he had to go back to LA or whatever. Yeah, and I think what I always try and say to us, it's kind of like 
you know, and for the listeners out there in the proverbial James Altish or cubicle or whatever, you know, your, you know, your bedroom or your on your path. I think that we, I, you know, we'll get hopefully into why I'm here and and but I think like uh, I want us to have the best podcast around. I think you're an amazing interviewer, you're terrific, and we'll get back to why I want to be here. But what I'm saying is like I want us to have people that. When people talk about like when you write something, you don't want it just read. You want it spread. You want people to like look at it. And and I heard Seth Godin speak about how you know uh, something remarkable is just that it's remarkable. There's a difference between excellent and remarkable. You're like not just like wow that's good. You're like you remark to somebody you're like wow did you see this? And I want us to do that. And I want I, and you have. I mean that's why I'm overjoyed to be here. And for those wondering, this isn't like Pravda or. You know, like, what's the Russian? <laughs> that is the Russian newspaper. <laughs> Meaning, like, I'm not like, uh, I'm saying this genuinely on my own free will and no, but, that, but, but that, But yeah. what Seth Gowden said is really yeah. interesting because I think that is the success. People always think, ask the question, how can I market my book better? How can I market my podcast better? And at that point, it's almost too late once they're asking that. Yeah. Because the way it has to be embedded in the product itself that it, this is not just a good product, it's something that people are gonna wanna remark on. Like you yeah. can have something that's extraordinary, but if nobody wants to share it with their friends, it's not gonna spread. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, even before you came on board, I started doing everything, um, you know, in person because I realized yeah. anybody, any of my listeners were willing to listen to something, one of my podcasts, you know, even if it wasn't in person. But when it was in person, there was a much higher likelihood that people would then share it because yeah. not only the podcast was better because there's all the kind of nonverbal communication, but just the audio quality was simply better. Yeah. So they're not embarrassed about sharing it to their friends. They, often with Skype, the audio quality is not so yeah. good. Well, I think the details separate the good from the great. It's like when we had Wolfgang Puck here, he talked about we have the best ingredients, we have the best food, and we don't. You know, and so we care, and so so so, so by so, the way, yeah, I, 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 we're, we're going to get yeah. to your, uh, your we're going to yeah. get to your various mutant powers. Yeah, but you've you've quoted people at least eight <laughs> times in the first five minutes, and you quoted John Wooden, Madonna, <laughs> just we quoted Wolfgang Puck, Seth Godin. Yeah, um, who else yeah. did you quote? Matt uh, Lauer. That's um, five people. Yeah, um, uh, I'm sure I'll have a lot more. John Wooden. Yeah, I definitely quoted John Wooden. I'm. I was a. He was somebody who I think about often because. In fact, you know, when I look back at what I was doing, one of the things I probably always say to myself is things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. And you know, who, who is that? What that's John, John Wood. And I just because I look at wait, it, so wait, things work the best. Things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out, and it wait. helps me. Like it helps me look at things and say, okay, you know, well, what's uh, an example? That's a hard one. Um, it's a little bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> it means how okay, you know, it's kind of like. Or Jocko Willink, who says, like, no matter what happens to him, he says, good. I broke my leg. Good. I could use the other so, leg. So, okay, so, like, it's sort of like, you know, play the cards you're dealt. Yeah, yes. It means, like, you play the, yes, it definitely means you, you play the cards you're dealt. And, but it's also, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't say about anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so yeah. wait, wait. Let's, let's, let's just, because yeah. I want to, you, you've basically been in media for, for 30 yeah. years. So, yeah, yeah. So, and now you're a podcast yeah, producer. Yeah, I'm excited. The, the, the peak of your career yeah, is producing zenith, a podcast. Zenith, zenith. <laughs> so, 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 okay, you went, you went to TV. How long were you? What I was, was in the, TV, um, and I, I worked at TV, like I was a desk assistant, 
like when I was at WCBS Radio, I looked at it like graduate school for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like what you you, ma- you majored in journalism? I majored, right? yeah, I was an English major, and I was I was pre med because my dad was a, a doctor, but that wasn't for me. You know, as much as I tried and. Um, you, you cannot do <laughs> biology labs or chemistry labs. No, and you know, it's just funny. I remember freshman year in college, I had a um, a lab partner from Hong Kong and brilliant guy. His name was Wyatt Toe. And he said, Steve, I picked you because of your Jewish heritage. And I thought you'd be a lot smarter. And, <laughs> and uh, but you, you, wouldn't, you, you would not be able to. No, have and a kind I'm glad. Of- I'm glad. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Hey, um, you're you. It's not one of your mutant powers. To no, hundred like, percent. No, follow, I, you know, cut up frogs and no, a thousand follow percent. Orders no, like that. <laughs> yeah, well, it definitely. Yeah, again, like I like to say, there's no right way to do the wrong thing, and so who said, um, who, who's that quoting? I saw that in a documentary about the Bloods and the Crips, and it was at LA County Jail, and it always stuck with me because it said up on the jail, it said, "There's no right way to do the wrong thing," and I felt like it's right. You know, it's a good message for these. What are, some, what are some examples of that in in real life that you've seen? Um, I think that I think you've talked about it in business where it's if you're not if you're with the wrong people or you're with the wrong kind of in this. Um, okay, I mean, there's a lot of it. Obviously, oh, I'm just gonna take this thing for one minute and bring it back, or uh, oh, I'm go- in TV. Oh, I'm just gonna. We've had this before where people say. Oh, um, if you want to do this interview, we're going to make sure, you know, you can't ask about this or could you give us the questions? And that's an example of maybe nobody notices it, but it's the wrong thing and it's not right. And it just sets a downward slope. And right, we don't, we don't, we've never done, I don't think no. we've ever done any interview like and that. I remember when I started, um, you know, I felt like, okay, James is into finance and everything. And I thought the Wolf of Wall Street was going to be interesting, uh, Jordan Belfort. And they were very insistent on, well, what are the questions or what are you going to ask? And and then I was kind of like, we don't give the questions. It's not something we do. You know, right. it's like, here's what we're. You wrote a book, and we're going to ask you about stuff. And if you don't want to answer it, don't ask. Don't answer it. But we're going to ask you it. And I remember they there was just so much kind of pushback, and they were trying to micromanage it. And we wound up scrambling and putting Mike Posner, who you wound up doing an amazing interview with, and. And and he Mike Posner was so impressed with you, and he said, "Wow, you really deep dive, you deep dive, deep dove. You were really into this." And and you said Steve was going to have um, Wolf of Wall Street, and I said he's a criminal. I don't want him on. So I was impressed both with your candor um, and just that, yeah, you prepared, you know. And so I, I definitely appreciate that. So okay, so so then you you how long were you at TV? Okay, I was at TV for. 15 years really because I was at the CBS early show for 10 and then I was at um, Good Day New York for 5 but I did want to get back when you mentioned J.B. Smoove like like <laughs> like I um, I a lo- the purpose of all of this is our is our is our listeners I want people I want us to have the best possible show I want us to have the I want you to be the best you possibly can and I'm gonna I'm, I'm hoping we're gonna talk about that faithful day Two days where we met and we said, hey, we're going to partner. We're going to really do amazing things here because I want our people. That You know, in the words of James Taylor, that's why I'm here. Like, I want us to be Why did James amazing. Taylor say that? <laughs> I don't know. He wrote that album, right? Uh, that's why I'm here. Oh, okay. Uh, I've seen fire. I've seen rain. And uh, <laughs> Okay. So you, 
Do you realize, like, you remember every quote from every movie. Like, you remember some obscure documentary about the Bloods and the Crips. You remember what was, like, somebody while they were on their way to the the death execution room, he had, like, tapped into the wall. Like, there's no right way to do the wrong thing. And you remembered that. Yeah. And and James Taylor, Matt Lauer. Yeah. uh, If I give you, like, a random person, could you, like, like, I'll give a quote from... Um, uh, George W. Bush. Oh, you quoted Richard Nixon earlier, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I remember one time I was at a party and a friend, um, uh, his friend Steve Hers, who's a prominent agent, and he was introducing me to people and he's like, wow, Steve Cohen's like Rain Man. And, you know, and he introduced me to a broadcaster and I said, oh, yeah, born in... 1968, University of Maryland, and was like, you're creepy and everything. I was like, no, I just remember things, you know? I mean, you do have like an extraordinary memory for, not for everything, but for like quotes and like odd personal details. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it, it's funny but, because- But the quotes though yeah, is weird. Like you remember, yes. like, okay, I'm going to name like, uh, what's an obscure movie? Jay, what's an obscure movie that you've seen? <laughs> okay, Enter the Dragon with oh, Bruce Lee. Oh, wow, well, wow. Give me a quote from oh, Enter the Dragon. Like I remember from like the seventies, I could tell you stuff from um, the Last Dragon with Shown Up and Bruce Leroy. <laughs> remember that movie no. with Timek, where it was about uh, like a you know martial artist from from Harlem, and his name was Leroy, and they called him Bruce Leroy, and it was a Barry Gordy film. For those of you out there, so it was kind of a spoof on Enter the Dragon. It was. It was a terrific movie. It was like uh, Vanity was in it. It was a great movie. Bruce like, Lee had some good quotes though in Enter the yeah, Dragon. Oh, I encourage you to. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. No, I mean like, I, the only when I think of Bruce Lee, I think of um, you know I, I I fear the person who does one kick a thousand times rather yeah. than thousand yeah. kicks one time. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just I, I if I've seen it, yes. I don't like. I don't think that. I remember years ago, a friend of mine and I. I feel like men quote movies more and then women and and but like yeah i guess that is how my mind works like and i remember one time i was with another friend of mine and we were in the hamptons and we were these women and they were like all you guys do is quote movies yeah but i think you do it more than anyone else i've ever seen do you know anyone who knows as many quotes as you well it's like they're saying dodgeball. If you could dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball. Wait, who um, said from the movie Dodgeball? <laughs> yes. When, uh, who said that? Rip Torn. No, Rip Torn kept like he was this weird like Hank Azaria played the young uh, Patches O'Houlihan, and he had like he was it was like a spoof on sports movies, and like he had them. Uh, Wait, isn't Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller? Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller were in it, but like it was just like he needed money for his gym to do things, and and so he had. He had like Hank Azaria played like this guy who was an expert at dodgeball, and then Rip Torn played him as an older person, and he was teaching him how to play dodgeball, and he would was giving them all these drills about dodgeball, and he like takes a wrench and wings it at them, <laughs> and he was saying if you can dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball, which I was felt like means like if you could do something really difficult, you could do something easy. So so a that's an interesting quote Thank to you. learn from. B, I've seen Dodgeball maybe three or four yeah. times. I do not even remember the scene. I oh, don't remember yeah. those actors. That's why I don't remember these things. And yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm a normal human being or because <laughs> I have early onset Alzheimer's or you're just yeah. you just remember all these I re- details. I try and re- I mean I just yeah, I think but I you like, don't remember I, everything. I, you no. remember quotes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you speak in quotes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, it's funny because, and sometimes I just think it's funny 
And like I, but I, all these things that you learn from, like the oh, wrench yeah. and the yeah. ball, oh, yeah, sure. that's you. You, th it's not only you remember the quotes; it's like you have the quote is the tip of the iceberg, and then you think about it's like you spend time thinking yeah, about the quote but, afterwards. But and, I remember, and I, and I like, I, I don't want to jump around here. Of course, those of you in your cubicle probably have a hard time following. But I think that um, I, yeah, I try and learn from everything that I'm doing. But I think. I remember, and you were very gracious, and and when we talked, I, I'd like for people to know, like we're, I everything you, that you see or hear, that's who you are, and that's one of the reasons that drawn me to you. But you were like, Steve, uh, I'm looking for somebody, and we discussed partnering or coming in, and I said, hey, like Shimon Peres said to Yasser Arafat, if you have a plan, it works once; if you have a partner, it works a lifetime, and I, it is how. I try not to be like a self-parody. Like, that is how I talk. And I remember when we started back in September, I was in, you know, we had booked a guest, like one of our first guests, and you called me and said, Steve, I'm so sorry. Uh, I feel really bad. Oh, my God, it won't happen again. But I, could, I, I need to do something else, and I couldn't do it. I'm like, it's okay. Good news is never late. Um, and never let a temporary inconvenience get the way of permanent improvement. It's fine. And that is how I think. That is probably how I see the world and which obviously if you see it through the lens or prism of like a Hallmark card and everything is epigrammatic saying, it's not the best thing in the world. No, not necessarily because yeah. you take these, think about these quotes. Yeah. They're all words of wisdom kind yeah. of that, that have withstood the test of time in some yeah. form or other. And so kind of building a, a life philosophy yeah. on them is essentially a shortcut to, to having yeah. wisdom yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I also remember like, I remember we had gone to see a movie and you were gracious enough to introduce me and said, Steve really thinks that we can get so-and-so on the podcast or whatever. And I was kind of, I said, um, well, listen, if I'm going after Moby Dick, I bring tartar sauce. Like I always expect to get the best and to do it. And some of it's like bravado for humor's sake, but I think also, why not, right? Yeah. Like why not, you know, or like I'll joke and say, take a chance. Columbus took a chance, you know? Like there's ways to think about things. And I think that, you know, I do. And if I hear something that sounds, that resonates with me, I, I kind of chew on it. Like the same way, I remember James Carville, I heard him speak about politics. And he said, like, all leaders deal with hope, right? Like Confucius years ago felt like it's hope. Like and you should inspire people for their better angels. And so for us, what we're doing here, I want people to listen to this and say, wow, this really helped me. And that, honestly, it's, you know, and we'll get back to what really motivated me to want to work with you and to come here. But I love the fact that you said, and even when we met, and, you know, I guess we're jumping around, but I, the one thing that I really liked was you said, I really enjoy when people stop me. And they say, I've helped them, and I really inspired them. And, and that was what your mission was. And I think, you know, I remember when I was at Good Day New York, we had Ava Devernay on, and one thing she said always really resonated with me, where she said, if your dreams aren't bigger than yourself... You're not dreaming big enough, you know? So that's, why are we here? Like, we want to make things better, you know? In your books, you said, who would I help today, you know? Or, and so I, I definitely see those things and I try and remember them because I think my mind is all over the place and I think a lot of times you have to go back to fundamentals and say, okay, this is what I have to do. Like, every day I have to read the papers or I don't know if I'd said this, you know, like when I was in TV or radio, I always felt like, there's no such thing as a slow news day, only lazy reporters. I felt like, you know, let's go. Like, and, and you know, or you have to make what's important interesting. And if you're going to do it, let's be the best. 
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? 
It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. So you're at... Um all these early shows yeah. and and you know Good Day New York yeah. and and this is not a criticism of any one show yeah. but like morning TV in general there's there's a certain characteristics of it as opposed to um, let's say so morning TV is mostly news and then there's like afternoon news kind of like sure, your five sure, o'clock sure, news sure. and then there's kind of late night shows yeah, which, yeah, is, sure. which are not really news but but are c- kind of um, sure. uh, comedic comedic news yeah. like like the Daily Show. And uh, I feel morning news is the lightest uh, because you know people are just getting ready for work. It's suppo- it's supposed yeah. to be a little lighthearted. There's like a cooking segment. Sure, sure, is, sure. You know, is a little more self helpish. Sure. Um, uh, and then and then the, the the segments are more here's interesting things are happening as opposed to like you know President Trump said yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and so it seems like but but those segments. Are so light. Like yeah. if a book author wants to talk about his book, he has three to five minutes to do it with commercials and with yeah. you know the host. Obviously, he can't read all the books, so he hasn't read the yeah. book. So he's just asking kind of questions on an index card that sure. an assistant handed him a few seconds earlier. So you can't really get depth. Sure. In, in general, I'm not criticizing any one show no, that no, you worked no. on. It's just the the, the that yeah. whole segment of shows. Look, I think like the way TV worked from seven to nine and. You know, top of the seven, you would like have the breaking news. And I guess what helped me was I was somebody who definitely had to produce a lot. I had a lot of different jobs in TV, but yeah, your your, your last thing was, um, yeah. and maybe for, you did yeah. this for a long time. You were you were producing these shows, yeah. So you would have to get the guests and bring them on. Yeah. And, and every time I was stopped yeah. by Good Day New York, yeah. the green room was filled with like these amazing guests. Like the uh, yeah. the Olympics had just happened. We met uh, the 2016 Olympics had just happened. Yeah, and well, I, I should tell people, you know, not to interrupt, but, but you're the expert interrupting. <laughs> go go right ahead. <laughs> no, but like James was on in the front page of the New York Times, and there was a really great article about your minimalism, and and the people there saw it, and the anchors saw it, and they were like, "Hey, we need to get this guy." And so I'd reached out and. You know, and and thankfully you had come on, and I, and and I knew you had known Brian Koppelman, and 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 then you came, and yeah, I felt like I definitely made sure, like every day, it was an opportunity. I looked at TV not as a privilege, not I mean, not as a reward, but as a responsibility and a privilege. And I felt like we have a, you know, I never was pretentious about journalism, but I said like, hey, let's do our best. Like this is our time to do it, and let's go. And so yeah, and when you came. I was incredibly impressed. Like you was like had a lot of mystique, you know, and yeah, I knew you had a daughter and I said, "Hey, I would like to tell guests who else was on the show and and just and to just try and make connections and make it stickier and to think like, okay, I want them to have an experience, you know, where they get the most out of it when they're there." And I noticed that a lot. Like I would have a lot of cool people in there and they'd always remember it, you know. I think most notably I remember when we had Brian Grazer on, he was who wrote a book called The Curious Mind and he was really interested in a lot of stuff. And he was unbelievable because I realized, like as I did with you, that he was pretty authentic. Like he, we had Michael Buffer, the let's get ready to rumble yeah. guy. We had um 
Well, you were constantly, you had great yeah. guests and you were constantly yeah. pulling them in. So I, I, yeah. I think that you, your years in TV, produce, you know, yeah. getting thousands of guests for these shows hooked you up with not only yeah. all the guests, but all their managers, agents, yeah. publicists. So, so that built this extraordinary network for you. Like, and, yeah. and then I don't know how you keep up with all the publicists, agents, managers, people. I but, always, but you was, do. I was always very receptive to them. Like I felt like I remember years ago I read a book by Herb Cohen or heard him talk about negotiating. And he's he a said, Southwest Airlines guy. No, that's Herb Kelleher. Uh. Herb Cohen was Rich Cohen's dad, who you had uh, on yeah, about yeah. Uh, the Rolling Stones book, which you, and all that. Yeah. And he was very interesting. And I remember like listening about what he was saying, and he was saying sometimes in a negotiation, a guy goes in there and he's trying to buy a car and. Maybe he wants to get it down a thousand dollars. Maybe he just wants to be treated with respect. Maybe he wants to impress his girlfriend. Maybe you know. And I just think, like, to me, I just maybe that publicist wants to just have somebody respond to them. And I had hundreds, if not thousands, of them said, "Wow, you were always so nice." And I just feel like it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, you're trying to play the long game, and you're trying to have partners with these people. And if you know, if you're not, and be honest with them, and to say, "Okay." This one doesn't work, but here's why. Well, and, it, and it, I dig my well before I'm thirsty. I would say, I would know. So a month or two later, I would know. And I, I think a funny story is one time when I was at the early show, I was outside and I, I met Suge Knight was there and everybody was intimidated to go up to him. And I walked right up to him and I said, hi, I'm Steve Cohen. You know, I'm at CBS early show and perhaps we could have you on someday. And they're like, why would you go up to him? And I was joking, but I was like, he could smoke somebody or next week or two weeks and we might need him and you never know. And at least I have his information. And and lo and behold, he got into some trouble and it was, I remember it was sugar at the road. You know, and I, but I felt like. Were you able to get him on? Oh yeah. Well, he, he called in or like we dealt with him. Yeah. I think like, I always felt like if you don't ask, I remember a guy I was, was impressed with and I think we should have him on is Pat Croce who like, I, I remember reading an article on him in Success Magazine, and he said, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And he talked about how he went from being the trainer of the Philadelphia 76ers then to owning 40 fitness centers and just how he really built himself yeah. up. I was inspired by that. I yeah. agree with that, if, um, but you can't, but, but, but then asking itself is a subtle skill. So yeah. like when you're going up to Suge Knight and just being friendly and saying, hey, and just exchanging information, that that's... That's subtle. If you said, "Hey, can you come on? I know you're a busy guy. Can you come on tomorrow uh, to to Good More to yeah. Good Day New York?" That might be too much. Oftentimes, people ask me because they yeah. think it can't hurt. They said, "Hey, I'm in town for a day. Can you have coffee with me tomorrow? Yeah. It'll only be five minutes. It's never five minutes. No. It's an hour." And you know, and then it's up to me. He just outsourced a no yeah. to me. Like I have to now say no, or I'm rude because I didn't respond. And that happens to me a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's how you ask too. Like, okay. what's, the, what's the best way to ask? Um, the best way to ask somebody is to being mindful of what they want and to make it clear to them that it could be it could benefit them. You know, and it's not so. So Adam Grant has this distinction between yeah. um, givers, takers, and I guess the people in the middle are like right. transactioners. I forget what he called it. Would you ever hear that joke? Um, uh, I remember somebody said to me, Steve. I view the world as being divided as into givers and takers. And I said, I view the world as being divided into people who divide the world into categories, people who don't divide the world into categories. <laughs> I have heard that joke. <laughs> so. Okay, at least I try. Like for the listeners out but, there, I always felt like even if they're not the best jokes, I think there's a at least you're trying. At least you're trying to be good natured. 
So, so, but, but, okay, but Adam Grant, sorry. But, but, but no, but with, I think what you're saying is before, before you go up to someone, you don't know if they're a giver or a taker or if they're transactional in some way. Yeah. And so you kind of play it from all angles. Like you, you make sure you're delivering before you ask them. Yeah. So you're like polite to them, but you're all, maybe you might comment on something they did, um, yes. you know, that, that's newsworthy and that you admired. And then you might say, you know, maybe one day, or you don't, yeah. you're not, you're never really pushy about it. No. And I felt like one of the things I always felt like it's how do you get people to a party? You invite them early, you invite them often, you be a good host, you tell them who else is at the party, you give them party favors, you know, you make them feel good about doing it. And you just, and you're honest and you're authentic. And I, some of the people that we've had here or whoever that I wasn't crazy about, I didn't find them genuine, I didn't find them authentic. And, you know, getting back to you, like I, I meant to say with Brian Grazer, but Brian Grazer was like so excited to talk to Michael Buffer because he does that thing where every two weeks he talks to somebody and he was like, great, I don't have to do it anymore. Like he was there and I thought it was really cool. And like, just that I thought like that's who he is. He wasn't trying to sell a book. He wasn't, I mean, he really did it for its own sake. And so, and when I saw you, you know, we talked like that day you were there and then you would come when Ryan Holiday was there. You were so interested in everybody else there, but you were unassuming. You didn't have a sense of entitlement. You were nice to everybody around there. And it I found and even to people who I felt should have known who you were but didn't, like, you know, I felt like, yeah, I thought that was terrific. I thought well, that was really great. My the, the when I came on the first time it was after that New York yeah. Times piece you mentioned. Uh I don't actually remember very well my segment. Yeah. <laughs> but I do remember because you had because you had mentioned yeah. This was right after yeah. the Olympics. Lori Hernandez, who yeah. I guess won silver in, or gold, gold, uh, gold in gymnastics, was on, and my daughter was a big fan. And I guess you had read I had a daughter, yeah. and you said have your daughter come in, and yeah. and then the thing I remember is my daughter, me, and Lori Hernandez took a photo oh, together. Sure. So that that was that that was that's oh. the thing I remember the most from oh, that yeah. first appearance. Um, no, and I think look, I'm the son of a physician, or my parents, or people around me, and my dad. Always had a bedside manner. I would see him now, fifty years he's been doing it, and he knows all these patients. He he sat down with them and he cared about them. He was a caregiver. He cared about people, and that's the currency that you have over there with them. And I always tried to do that with the people I worked with, or you know, but, I try to be thoughtful. Like if there was, you know, and and I've always felt that those that know you best should love you most, like those people around you. And so I'd like to think that if you popped stopped in the street and saw somebody. Who worked with me? They would say, "Wow, he he was thoughtful, or he was a nice person, or he, he like if I if there were guests on the show, I would I if there was somebody who liked Ultimate Fighting, I would say, oh, you know, Tyler loves Ultimate Fighting. You should meet, you know, Ronda Rousey.' Or I tried to be thoughtful. Or if if like David Ortiz was there, and like the guy from the mailroom, I remember he was speaking Spanish with him, and I said, oh, he taught himself Spanish just so he could meet you, or you know. And I tried to be thoughtful, and I do think the little things add up and you know like with people but i yeah but but, but here's the, here's the question i have so i'm really bad at following up with people yeah like i'll meet them and yeah. then they'll write me emails and i just i i i just i focus very much on you know i try to write i try to prepare for podcasts yeah. i podcast i do yeah. you know stand up comedy um, but a lot of people will meet me and then write emails like, hey, it was nice to meet you, or I'll meet people who are guests on this podcast. Yeah. And I feel like I want to follow up and I want to build a network and I want to connect. Uh, I just don't have the time or the energy and it's not on the top list of my priorities. Although 
for you, building your network for, for 30 yeah. years has been on the top of your priorities. But like when you had 500 people on your network and you're keeping yeah. track of all of them yeah. and following up, that's one thing. I think now you have at least, just from what I've seen, you have at least 10,000 people in your network. Like it must be half the day just following up with um, all of them. Yeah, no, I I think also like the perfect's enemy of the good. And sometimes it's like, and sometimes you, if you don't do it right away, you know, like the other day we, we did a great podcast with Mike Massimino and thank you, Mike, for coming. And thank you, Kathy, you know, his manager who was great. And I feel like, Sometimes you put pressure on yourself to be like, "Wow, I have to write this really florid email," or I want to. And then the longer you wait, the more burdensome it is. But if you yeah. do it right away, then it's you don't have that psychic energy of feeling guilty. And you know, I think we all learn from people around us. And I had a friend who was at William Morris Agency, and they famously always get back to somebody within a day. And I tried to just get better at that. One stitch in time saves nine. Like if you could do it in that sense, um, but. But I also feel like what I've told you, remember, with people around you, like those that matter don't mind and those that mind don't matter. Like those people who genuinely want what's best for you, they just want to hear from you. They want to see you. Like, And so there have been, in, when we went to trips and I had friends in those places and then before I used to think like, wow, you know, I don't want to email them at the last minute. But like the people who really want to see you, you can email them anytime, call them or and and. And you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be honest. I just try and be honest. Like, hey, I'm sorry it didn't work out. I did the best I possibly could. You know, I'll make it up to you. You know, and and I think that that's really, it's just, I just try and be as honest as possible. We've had guests who weren't happy, but like, I also saw the world. Wait, we had guests who were unhappy? No, not us. Here, no. We didn't have, any, honestly, and I'm not just saying it, like, we didn't have any guests who were unhappy. But I'm like, at Good Day New York, one of the anchors might have said something or the early show they want you know we ask tough questions and you know uh we i remember <laughs> uh i remember one time i'll give you a fun story like so one year we interviewed bill clinton at the for the clinton global initiative and one of the anchors I went with harry smith who's a terrific anchor and one time we we didn't get to really ask him about the clinton global initiative it was like in, I want to say it was 2008, the country, you know, uh, and a lot of stuff was going on and and it was like the meltdown and Obama was there. It was like October, I forget, maybe September, October 2008. And there was all this stuff going on. And, um, and so Harry Smith said, you know, uh, hey, sorry, uh, President Clinton, you know, I'm gonna have to take a rain check on that whole situation. <laughs> and they went ballistic. I mean, like his people were like, rain check, rain check, you know, and like, and for a long time, they were disappointed and they kept emailing, like if, if somebody at Face the Nation had wanted to ask something, they would say, sorry, we'll have to take a rain check on that request. And so then I remember like with these early show umbrellas and I sent like 10 of them saying, hey, you know, I sent them them, like those people, like Clinton's people umbrellas saying, hey, I just thought you might want these umbrellas in case it rains. And eventually it thawed things out. But I, you know, I could play the music. I can't always make everybody dance. You but know? still, it's like every, it seems like you're always thinking of that extra effort to keep in touch. Like I think half the reason you read the news is just yeah. to see if there's people in your network mentioned, so you could send them a note, just keeping in touch. Um, yeah, but I also like for us, like for what we're doing here, and for the listeners, and it's a great community of people. I vicariously appreciate when they come to you, and I. You know, we have a purpose here. We do. And that was what brought me here. But I think that, yeah, some of it's superstition. Some of it's like, hey, it's habit. 
some of it, but I think a lot of it also, like, I like to read the actual papers. Like, I remember Mayor Bloomberg had said, like, he liked to read the actual papers because you see stuff you're not looking for. And or it sparks different things, but sure, I I would read different things. And by the way, you've made yeah. you've quoted like like over a hundred people now so far in this podcast. Like you, but again, you're borrowing the wisdom yeah. uh, from Bloomberg. You're borrowing the wisdom yeah. from you yeah. know whoever. Uh, so so I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just you have this memory for for quotes. It's the two two mutant three mutant powers. I will say you have this memory for quotes. You 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 have this enormous network, and I guess related to that power is the power to kind of keep up with that network, so that everyone everyone I would say ranges from thinking on the upper end like uh, he's yeah. Steve Steve Cohen is great. I'm always going to return his call and and do whatever he asks. And the worst is. Okay, Stephen Cohen is this mildly weird guy, but I'm still going to return his call. Because I remember I <laughs> yeah. told uh, one yeah. guy who's been a frequent guest yeah. on this podcast, um, oh, we just hired uh, yeah. this producer. He's coming from TV, The Good Day in New yeah. York. And he said, uh, oh, is it that weird guy, Steve Cohen? <laughs> like, uh, you know, and then, um, yeah. uh, but then he, he later, yeah. uh, a few months later, came up to me and said, Man, I can't believe you got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on your podcast. How'd you get him? And I was like, um, Steve Cohen. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think my dad used to always say, like, with, with his patients, and I think 95% of them loved him, but most people hopefully swear by you. Some are going to swear at you. And again, that's fine, too. Like, with me, with people, like, I've seen all kinds of people, and weird's fine. I think if you're a nice person, I can deal with, you know, like if you're a genuinely yeah, nice yeah, the person. Yeah, person who said that oh, didn't, sure, didn't mean sure, anything bad. that's fine too, you know, but like, maybe I am probably a little bit weird and, and you know. Uh, he, he certainly didn't yeah. mean it as an insult, <laughs> but you are a little bit weird. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 of course. No, no, Because you speak in quotes yes, and you know absolutely, every single absolutely. human being on the planet. No, of course. And, and, you know, no, and I definitely, it's funny, like, uh, speaking of quotes, if I remember in Dumb and Dumber where, there's that scene where he goes, what a complete moron. And then he goes, no offense. And then he says, none taken. <laughs> so I'm not offended. It's fine. It's, um, But I no, I think that I just try and be the best version of me I can be. And um, and I try and treat people the way I want to be treated. And But I also think there is a difference. I just think you want to be genuine. You know, you want to be like who you are. And I remember years ago, I read a book on by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who had like the five stages of death and dying. Yeah. And it impacted me because she wrote like her autobiography and she said when she got older, you know, she was this celebrated speaker at universities. And she always knew if like the people and up on stage, the president would walk her up and put his arm around her and give her this really like bombastic kind of introduction. And then like an hour later when everybody left, she'd be left to go get to her car. This like frail old lady trying to go to her car because... Nobody was watching, and they weren't doing it that way. So, you know, they, they weren't as concerned about her once everybody left. They were concerned about what they were doing in public. You know, it's the old, like, yeah. be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Like, this is who you are. And 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 so I think in general, yeah, I hope you people around me are the same way. Like I always say, like, those that know you best should love you most, like your friends and those around you. And those are the ones, hopefully, that we should care about, you know. And and then, but you treat people fairly. You treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And when I, I'm not, I, I try not to be, like, I, I, I've had people approach me. I've been on both sides of it. And, like, they approach you checking in or, like, you know, and like or, like, it could be an intern who 
came back like, you know, all the, the whole year, they weren't really interested. And then come May, they're about to graduate. And then, hey, I loved working with you. And it's like a form letter and it's not genuine. And I don't know, I just, it's not the way it should be done, you know, as far as I think. You, you know, know on, and it's weird because on the one hand, like I've seen you approach a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Like, so, so, so the other thing you do is another, okay, now I will listen to another mutant superpower, which is you somehow get invited to every single TV screening, book party, of, you know, yeah. movie screening. We, we saw, I mean, Louis C.K.'s movie was never even released, and we, we saw the movie in a theater. It was yeah. just you, me, and a friend. Yeah. And no one else in the whole theater. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. And then the next day, the movie was never released. Yeesh. Yeah. And we saw, uh, Ma, we've, seen, we've seen so yeah. many, yeah. so many movies yeah. and TV shows, and plus other screenings and, and symposiums and this and that. And every, every symposium we go to, you, you know, there might be a crowd of 500 people, but you are always you always know the, the the main people on the stage and I'm yeah. able to talk to them because you know them. But I also feel like, look, you oh, 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 are the Honda Civic. You sell yourself. Like, it should be, um, but you, it should, I believe in what we're offering. I believe it. I could evangelize about it because I've seen you. I know what you could do. Sometimes, so I always, 100% of the time, I see you go yeah. up to the people yeah. and say, we should have you on the show. We should do right. this. We should do that. And, you know, I love doing this. love doing that. You're always able to have a conversation. Some people respond very well to it. Some people uh, back off a little bit. And, yeah. and so my question is, um, at first I thought maybe you're not reading all of their social cues, like an Asperger-ish <laughs> kind of thing, <laughs> which I think there's a little bit yeah, 100%, 100%, of that. 100%, 100%, of course. And and but yeah. but I think also it's just like it's like you say uh, you're not really asking anything and it doesn't really hurt to talk to them for three seconds and so I think that's part of your approach too so that they remember you later and later and later. Yeah. Um, look, I think again getting back to Seth Godin, I, I was influenced when he said when I got three rejections, I said, "Oh, great, only ninety six more to go." You know, and I and I, I honestly believe that we're offering something really good to people. What are we offering them? You know, a, a very a vast educated listenership some smart people a great conversation with somebody who prepares like i can go up to people we had a, you know one of our first interviews since i was here was nancy cartwright who was the voice of bart simpson and a lot of other people and afterwards she was gushing like this was the best interview i ever saw like you prepare and well, i was yeah, impressed with it like like with yeah. nancy yeah i mean i watched the movie she had, yeah. her movie hadn't yeah. yet been released i watched the whole movie yeah. and i cited everything in her career 29 years as bart yeah. and uh yeah. as bart simpson and and all her acting yeah. career before then and she was so fascinating to me but but you also like we're gonna interview someone yeah. in a little bit you also read the books like i spent the whole yeah. night reading this book yeah. and you also read the book i tried I mean, to read the book i i felt like you know um Again, John Wooden, rest in peace. Uh, he always felt like if you don't have time to do it right the first time, when are you going to have time to do it over again? And I felt like, oh, that's a great opportunity. Like maybe we could connect on this or, you know, because you're not going to go back. You're not going to try and do it. And so I try to, you know, I just do my best. And I think that's what I'm trying to do here. And for those listening and, you know, you could tell us what you think and, how you found me weird or tweet at James, but I want us to be the best. I want us to be the best. And so I think that, you know, it's like the expression, like champions do every day what losers do only occasionally. And there's a way who to approach that? it. Um, I remember, I want to say Mike Tyson or somebody who also famously <laughs> said, um, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that you should, or, you know, you have to do things that you hate and act like you love them. But I enjoyed it. It's great. It's an honor to like, 
meet these authors and these brilliant people. But you met them at Good Day New York and see these early shows. So my question is, like how many, so so while you were at Good Day New York, I don't know where it was when you started, but when you- They were third, they were like third, and it wasn't just because of me, but like then they became number one. They were- Yeah, so while you were there, I mean, I think it was, I mean, you bring in the guests and that brings in the viewers that it became number one in in the biggest uh, regional market in the country. Yeah, yeah. So, so- And there were uh, other reasons. And how many people view a morning show like that? Like what are the numbers? It's, I mean, 250,000 maybe, you know, 300,000, you know, in New York, uh, you know. So every day? Every day, yeah, which was fine. I mean, at the early show, is 3 million, and today's show is like 6 million, which I wasn't. Why'd you go from at. the early show to Good Day New York? I went from the early show, I had a friend, uh, Dave Price, who was an anchor, who became an anchor at Good Day New York. And I'd left in 2012 when they switched over from the early show to CBS's morning, you know, mm-hmm. when that Charlie Rose and... Gail King and them came in. And I, w- I was actually getting a little bit tired of TV to begin with. There was other things I kind of wanted to do. But then Dave, um, and and again, just for you listening out there, I remember he, I said, and he had gotten the anchor job over there. He had been weatherman at, at the early show. And we were close. And he said, you know, hey, I know you know those people, but um, if you want to come, I'd love to have you work with me. And, and so, so you didn't mind going to a show that I had one-tenth the audience? I was reluctant to it. I mean, I felt like, you know, I remember joking with Dave, and I said, Dave, I feel like Olivia Newton-John, and I'm in Australia with my lover, and you want me to go back to Rydell High? <laughs> and he was like, I feel like Olivia Newton-John too because I want to get physical with these people, you know? And he had wanted somebody he knew and felt like I feel like Olivia Newton John because I want to go back to Xanadu. <laughs> exactly. But um no, and I and I felt like and I remember starting there and I remember it was different and I remember coming in and I and I remember feeling a little bit defeated that I was going back to television because I wanted to do other stuff. And when I got there, I I remember reading the psychology of winning and Dennis Waitley had said, successful people focus on the flowers, not the weeds. And I said, wow, here's a chance. And believe me, they weren't, when I went there, some of the other producers, they weren't hugging me and singing me kumbaya. They were like threatened, who is this guy? Or they probably had their own thoughts about, well, why is he going from network TV to local? And it was an environment that was fine, you know. And uh, how do you deal with that kind of um, hostility in the workplace from your coworkers? Um, I remember, uh, well, among other things, it's funny. I, <laughs> I remember when I was at the early show, people knew me, and so I could wear more colorful shirts. And I remember honestly joking, like, I didn't want to, I just wanted to be like, come in in a certain way. And I remember saying, the nail that sticks out gets hammered. I'm going to wear a white shirt. And I wore like a white, I look like a white shirt and like every single day I wasn't wearing pastels. But um, I felt like that's fine. You got to get along to go along. And I just, I knew like persistence beats resistance. I felt like, I, I, you know, I had a job to do, and I didn't necessarily take it. I didn't take it personally. Like I didn't. I, you seem. Uh, you seem. It seemed to me like you were just very focused on just every day getting the best possible guess, yeah. and ultimately that would pr- well, prove, yeah, to oh, everybody absolutely. that you were, yeah, of course. And and but you know, what truth is, like it's. It's yeah, just, and you don't, you don't seem like the type to play office politics. No, I wasn't like that. And the truth of the matter is, I was working really, really hard all the time, and I didn't have time to kind of politic over there and to shoot the breeze with management over there and i would say this to everybody out there you know that i felt like you want to be around people who really want you to do well not just people who don't want you to screw up and some environments are better than others i felt like the experience wasn't going to have meaning unless i really excelled you know the narrative of your arc is to go from network to local and i knew that 
like a basketball coach or something who went from pros to college. Like, okay, if you can win a national title there, it's going to have meaning and it's going to be exciting. And so jump to when I came with you throughout my career, like I brought network level people, I brought network level people to a local radio station. Then I did it at network TV. And then when I went to local TV, I was able to bring network type people. To, and I looked at it in sports, like you were almost like a mid-major Again, you and I share a huge interest in sports. You know, you're reading those box Z scores every day. Z zero, uh, <laughs> zero interest in my bar, but you, you know every statistic yeah. from but, 1909 but onwards. Like, but then, and you get back about like your network too. Like I always felt like you want you want people to be, you want things to be a push towards you rather than a pull. You want to select. You don't want to just keep recruit, recruit, recruit. But I knew like when I got there, you know, I knew I was going to bring really exciting people over there and an energy and it was going to make it better for that place over there and that because you were coming from a national platform to a local so you had that network I had that network but i also i was avis i tried harder you know i did and like i was when i, I mean, these people are paying me it's a job and like you're so gonna now go you even quoted like an <laughs> advertising slogan but okay why'd you go from tv yeah and and being the number at the uh, producing yeah. the number one new morning news yeah. show in new york city um to the podcast okay, world the podcast Okay, so I, so forgetting I, about me, just no, the no, I, and I general. always had an interest in podcast. I think like people over there would always make fun of me because uh, I, when we would have a guest on, I think like podcasts kind of got bigger recently. But we'd have a guest on, and I would try and walk to work every day, and uh, you know it was about a half hour walk. And like if we were gonna have a guest on, I would always listen to them. You know, I would try and maximize my time. So I, you know. And so I started discovering podcasts and I got really into them. And like people would joke saying, Oh, you love podcasts? You like Rotten Tomatoes? Because I would always quote Rotten Tomatoes. And I I I remember um one time we had a woman from Rotten Tomatoes and we had that actor Eric Andre. And I said Love Eric Andre. Can we get angry yes, Eric Andre yes, in the podcast? Yes, he'd be terrific. Hi, Eric. And he was very self-effacing and and really bright guy. But I remember saying to the Rotten Tomatoes, I'm like, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. Like, for example, Eric Andre, the internship, 34% Rotten Tomatoes. And he was like... <laughs> Eric Andre, uh, yeah. the internship, man-seeking woman, who, by yeah. the way, you know, I had you, Simon Rich on twice yeah, who yeah. wrote the book. And uh, we have Jay Barish we'll have to have on. I and, mean, and Eric Andre, the Eric Andre show is the most yeah. brilliant... Uh, yeah, him and Hannibal Burris. So yeah. you guys are welcome if you're listening, as I know you are. So, um, Eric, yeah, please come. And uh, we'll have but, a great By the way, time. this is the kind of conversation... Steve and I have about guests. Yeah, is that like suddenly I'll get like fascinated by somebody and I'll like beg you like yeah, this is the yeah. only one I want on. No, he's great, but that was one thing. Okay, so then so you asked me why I went to podcast and I did feel like so. You, okay, so then in you'd come in all April and I kind of remember yeah you're a fascinating brilliant guy and I followed it away and um and then a year later we had had Ryan Holiday for his book Perennial Seller. And all of a sudden, like, you're like his wingman, his road dog. You're kind of hanging out with him there. And I'm like, holy moly, this is James. And it just seemed like the right. And I, and Ryan and I were chatting about a lot of different things. And uh, I want to say Lee Child was there. Uh, no, Brad Thor. Brad Thor, sorry. And, uh, and you know, and every, and, and we were chatting. And I mentioned that I wanted to, I was really exploring, you know, trying something different and going into this arena because I really enjoyed it. And, and you said, well, I'm looking for somebody. And so I was really excited and interested. And then um, and then we started talking. And for those people out there, I felt like this guy is authentic. Like this guy is something else. Like I wanted uh, 
and and just when we started talking about guests that you you talked about who was there that day and i remember like i kind of broke it down for you like a fine powder i was like okay this person's there and his publicist is kind of a little bit abrasive and then you said well i don't even want that person i want this person and you were so interested in every single thing and it was the old line like you heard about people where they said they're interesting and interested and you are and that's what you want like i always felt like i'd rather tame a wild horse than motivate a mule and you want to be at a place worthy of your talents and you want somebody who is really really wants to do well like you want to be the best and it was different and you you know having worked in tv for a long time you would deal with a lot of people who are narcissists and and, and it was a way and and I joke about it like the old Chris Rock line where he said when Siegfried and Roy were attacked, everybody was like, that tiger went crazy. That tiger went crazy. He was like, that tiger didn't go crazy. That tiger went tiger. That's the nature of the beast. There's an insecurity. They're on TV. But they kind of, to me, a lot of these people, it seems like they want fame and they get a, they get addicted to it. And it's, it's, and it's, but, and you may want all those things, you know, but it's like you really appreciated like that people, um, you know, um want wanted you really wanted to help people you'd been through your own troubles and were honest and authentic about it and when you i saw the way you treated other people i watched around and i just i was i felt like wow you know i don't want to like i want like wayne dyer said i wanted to be like a no limit person you know um you have one second i just want to drink from this kool-aid uh, <laughs> wayne dyer by the way was like my second or third yeah. uh podcast and it was a great interview but i i did i did find that to be and and I did try and do my research and I looked around some mutual friends we had and they all I read the Forbes magazine piece which said you're a great dad or the other one said you're the most interesting person in the world or I saw different things and I felt like you know and but I felt like we I remember saying to you again you're a huge sports fan we could be like Belichick and Brady or like and, and we have a great team here and they're great it's you know our friends, the people at Agora who put the, or Jay and just, you know, uh, Michelle and Pam and Savannah and, you know, Bill who does work with us. So they're great people. And it's, I'm excited, Matt and Doug, you know, so it's a great team and I'm excited and it, you know, to be part of it. But, know? but like, uh, I mean, I, I would say that on the one hand, podcasts are great because, and we've stayed pretty consistent to the yeah. theme of peak performance. Yes. So that's why, like, Someone might be famous for some newsworthy reason, but if they're not like the peak performer sure. or clo or the best in the world or something we're having at some point, we usually say no. You yeah. you pitch a, a thousand ideas to me, yeah. and you know a lot of them are no's, and I feel bad sometimes saying no, but I'm able to explain the reasoning, and you're like, okay, fine, like right away you say, <laughs> okay, fine, and but and I, then the, and then yeah. the other thing is, um, uh, uh, I forgot. What. But you were talking about like moving from TV to podcast. Why I wanted to do it. Yeah. But I remember when when we met, you were saying, "Steve, I think this is like 1951 television, and we're in the first inning." And I felt like, well, and also we're able yeah. to get a lot deeper with the guests yeah, than a three minute yeah. segment. Like we have two hour podcasts yeah. sometimes. Like we're able to really dive in deep to someone's life and the parallel between yeah. their life and their work and their peak performance and what struggles they had, and and it really teaches people how to achieve peak performance. I don't think you can get it. You you can't really do that on a morning news show. No, 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 absolutely. And I remember you said, hey, and good uh, good morning, New York. And you didn't even have the name right of the show. <laughs> and, you know, you're like, they asked me for three, five minutes. But here I could go in for a long time. And, yeah, I think, I think it's a great medium. I think that 
I feel like if we're going to do it, let's do it and be the best at it. Let's give the, our most value to it. And again, but okay, let me ask you this. Yeah. Like, again, the, the numbers are still not as high yeah. as TV. Yes. Um, so you went from national TV yeah, sure, sure, to sure, local sure. TV to here. And, you know, numbers are getting up there with local yeah, TV yeah. and cable yeah, yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah. But it's not there yet. Do you think it's going to... I do think they're going to get... I do think they're going to keep getting better and Why? better. And I just... Because for us, I mean, I think you do an amazing job. You know, we're going to keep at it. And I think we're going to keep doing better with it. We'll get better. And more and more people are going to find value. I think it's just what you said. Like, it's, 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 I, you know, and we have to, but we have to be disciplined and we have to be like the bartenders that don't just serve what we want to drink, but what other people want to drink. So, and, so, and but make by the sure way, that we think of them. By the way, the, the uh, fourth mutant superpower, you <laughs> send out, I remember you told me in the beginning, you yeah. send out 50 to 100 letters a day yeah, asking people to. to come on the yeah. podcast. And, Certainly, ninety-eight percent of them say no, um, and and two percent might say yes. And so you deal with so a you're 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 asking a lot, and you're dealing with a lot of rejection. But you never really take it as a rejection. You always well, yeah. Give, give well, a sometimes about I got better at it. Like I got better at you know, and I've learned a lot. Honestly, swear to God, like you know, we talk about like having a quantum leap, but like I learned a lot in this period of my life. But you know. I just, I think it's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's about um, we're offering them something really good. And it, and and I think like we try and be as honest as possible and figure out a way that it could be mutually beneficial to the to the guest who comes and feels like, wow, you know, James invested in them. He asked me good questions. He wasn't trying to be gossipy. He wasn't trying to, to make it transactional. He was trying to learn something and he was genuinely curious. And what I could tell... Everybody who listens, like when I would see you outside of this, this is who you are. Like you meet friends of mine and you ask these questions and you're concerned about them or people came up. We had an event here in New York and these people were were appreciative that you were genuinely curious. And I trust me, I've seen a ton of people where they weren't concerned about, you know, people in the public eye. They weren't concerned about uh, those people and they didn't. You know, and people would travel to see them, and they didn't. They weren't interested in them. So, but, but, now, but how do we get better? I think you, you, we have to do things every day that other people aren't doing. We have to provide more value. We have to, you know, we have to, you know, but, like. But it's, I, hard. Yeah. it's hard. Like I see you. Like yeah. you, you're you're constantly reading because that's yeah. how you get you get yeah. news, and also you read the books of the yeah. guests and potential guests. So you're constantly reading. You're constantly writing to people, whether yeah. it's following up or asking sure. them, or or and also you have this way of connecting the dots. So you'll say uh, this person has this publicist, and we've had on this other publicist yeah. person as a guest. So now we'll get this. You're constantly connecting the dots, and that's how sure. you get your, generate your 50 emails a day. And yeah. then you follow up to all the rejections, sure. and you ask again, and 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 then at night. You're every seven <laughs> nights a week. You're at screenings <laughs> or events um. or whatever. And you asked me to go to a lot of these, but I just can't. Like, how do you um, have a personal life? <laughs> no, I, I've fortunately been starting to have more of a personal life, and I think it's. And I think you have to allow yourself to do it. And I think it's. I think you know. Fortunately, I have a lot of friends or dating. You know, I hope to. I'm single. I hope to. Uh, you know, Ladies meet the right person. Maybe I've. Yeah, exactly. You know, hope to meet, meet the right person, or maybe I've already met that person. And I think it's. It's, uh, it's, but I, I, I don't necessarily, it's not like I'll go to the opening of an envelope. Like I try and say no. I mean, I think, um, 
you know, and one of the things I've even said to us with what we were doing, I remember Graydon Carter famously said, it's not who you let in, it's who you let out, like when you do stuff. So for us, we shouldn't always go for the low-hanging fruit or what's easy, and we have to have intent. Why are we putting this person on? We're no, you always go there. for, like, yeah. again, oh, yeah. getting like, I yeah. mean, some of the guests you've got on, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wolfgang Puck, I've never yeah. seen that these two on podcasts yeah. where you've gotten a lot of people on who have been on zero other podcasts. Yeah, I mean, no, thank you. And I, Richard I, Branson, you oh, got yeah, that was, To me, that and, and that's something I think about a lot, not having about what he said. Like, he, James, I was very impressed with that interview, and it, it really impacted me because you kept pushing him. You said, what if you're not a billionaire? What if you're not rich what if you're not like outgoing and he just said stuff that i think about every day like a lot where it's like people want to be around people who are positive people want to be around people who praise you people want to be around people who look for the best in other people so i i felt like i got a lot out of that i hope our listeners do too and so that's what animates me like i'm not trying to be like a taxidermist to get all these pelts on the wall like some other people do like we want to be the best we want to have the best podcast and I, that is what appealed to me about you. You really, really want on a mission, and we're and we'll get there. And it's, uh, and I think we're doing an amazing show for those who are listening now. And what you realize too, it's like, and I realized this at Good Day New York, and I remember Gretchen Rubin, who I think is terrific, and she came one she's day been on twice. Yeah, she's great, and and I loved a lot of what she had to say. But I remember she came, and we had, um, you know, uh, these rappers from the Locks, a guy named Styles P and Angela Yee who came on about their juice bar and, we're, and hopefully we're going to do stuff with them. And I remember, she, I remember among other things, she wrote a book called like Money, Power, Respect and he had a rap song called Money, Power, Respect because I remember they were talking to each other and she had no idea who he was but she felt like, okay, we live in an area of micro-celebrity. Like we live in an area where, and so that's fine. Like you, for me, or you ask about numbers, it's you bloom where you're planted. Like you, you're here and like, and it's not, quantity is quality of what you're doing and and you have said it ryan holiday said it, like we do a really good product and a thing of beauty is a joy forever and we're gonna really do a good job with it but like so i'm not really concerned about it. like now that i've moved away from tv or other medias like we try and ascribe value based on external factors you know it could be like i could buy a sweater and they'll say oh you know this sweater is a cashmere sweater for three hundred dollars, and like the you one know, I'm yeah. <laughs> but like you can get it for fifty. Well, it might not be worth three hundred. You know, it might not be worth fifty dollars for you. And similarly, okay, just because like a million other people watch something doesn't mean that it's better for me or for us. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there, and so hopefully, you know, the more people who are exposed to it are getting value from it, and and we get better. And, so so yeah. so you know, I think. Um, what I wanna what I wanna point out is this podcast is gonna come out. I also think this is the one one of the times where check out the post that goes along with this podcast because I think what we should do is extract every quote at its source <laughs> that you've said. We should title this podcast The Tao of Steve. Let's get all your quotes out there, plus your mutant superpowers and maybe like books on how to get those superpowers. Because uh, I think I think they're somewhat learnable, even yeah. from people who are not quite on the Asperger spectrum. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> and you know, I also want to mention, Steve. We're not just yeah. doing the podcast; we're trying other things like yeah. YouTube channels. And you're working on projects. We, yeah, we, we, we we'll we'll talk about them next time. We'll, yeah. we'll definitely we'll definitely have you on as a guest yeah, again. Thank you. Thank you. Let, me check, let me check my schedule. And see if I'm free. <laughs> uh, and uh, thanks so much, uh, thank Steve you very Cohen, much. Uh, thank producer you. of the uh, yeah. the James Altucher Show podcast. You've brought on. 
so many amazing guests, and uh, I think people need to to learn from your example if they're if they're doing anything basically in life. Yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed working with you and everybody here. I think they're amazing people, so I'm excited. So, looking forward to many more happy returns. <laughs> All right, that that was good, Steve. What'd you think? Yeah, that was Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.